0: Welcome to Full Court Press, and I'm Liam Griffin. Michael. The Yankees lose!
1: And the Red Sox didn't even make
0: the playoffs. The Red Sox won a year ago! Sorry, when's the last time the Yankees won? Oh, yeah, a full decade ago. Alright, boys and girls, back with me today is the only fan I am willing to talk to that supports the team I hate more than any other, Mr. Michael McGuinness. On today's episode, I just want to point this out before we get into what's coming today. Mike, look, looking through the script, Michael said he expects a lot of conflict today, so grab your popcorn, folks. On today's episode, Joel Embiid and Karl-Anthony Towns go at it, Steph Curry goes down, and Baker Mayfield goes at the media. We begin today with the World Series. The Washington Nationals beat the hometown Houston Astros in a seven-game series to claim the World Series crown. The Nats won all four games on the road, including rallying back from deficits with their postseason lives on the line in games 6 and 7. Michael, my intent is for this to flow into several different topics, and so I'll start with this, which I expect to flow into other topics. Do you believe Hinch pulled Granky too early? No, I actually uh, believe that I pulled Granky
1: too late. Um, see, I'm more of a, uh, I'm a since I'm a big AL East fan, especially with the Yankees. Uh, you know, we see managers like Kevin Cash or Aaron Boone get really uh, mixed in with their bullpens. Uh, I feel like Aja Hinch is a manager who trusts the starters way too much deep into games. He'll throw his starters going late into innings, over 100 pitches facing the lineup third, fourth time. Uh, I think that he pulled Granke too late. I think he had a Cy Young Award winner sitting in his bullpen that he could have eased right in. And uh, and Granke would have never given up that home run probably. I mean, I, I expect, based on uh, Garrett Cole's resume, that he probably wouldn't have given up any runs either. Uh, so... He, you got Granky going. What was it, six? They got got uh, Cole can throw the, uh, the seventh and eighth. And then you got Roberto Osuna can throw the ninth, and then the Astros would be world champions right
0: now. Okay, so I agree with you for the most part in that they should have gone to Cole and but I don't. I think they pulled Granky right at the right time because he had a he had a one hit shutout going through the seventh inning, and then he gave up a home run to Rendon. And there's no shame in that. Rendon's one of the best hitters in baseball. And, but the decision Kinch made as to who to go to, going to Will Harris, instead of Osuna or Cole, the two more proven relievers that could have done the job better in that situation instead of giving up that home run to Howie Kendrick, that's what's bugging me. Now, in terms of what bl- overall blame for the loss, it does not fall on Greinke or Harris in any way, shape, or form. I'll tell you who... What? What? totally on Hinch. you think it's on Hinch? Do you think all of it is on Hinch, though? I think that
1: I think Hinch has uh, he coaches a team that has a lot of talent on it and could do a lot better. Uh, I think that it's impossible for the Astros not to win 100 games. You could I mean, you could throw a a three-year-old out there to be their manager and and, then they'd probably do just as well. I mean, literally take Hinch he goes uh, every single game, not oh, well not every single game, but a lot of games that I've seen, Hinch manage. He's terrible managing his bullpen, and his lineups are only average as well. You have George Springer batting leadoff. Like I understand that's what the fans want to see, but th- I mean that's completely stupid. Why would you have why you have a cleanup hitter batting first? Okay, you have you have two other guys in that lineup, and Altuve and possibly Bregman who would be way better leadoff hitters. So. No, and
0: I think Bradley would be yeah. better leading off than either of those two.
1: Uh, well, I mean, um, mostly for me, what makes a good leadoff hitter is someone who has some speed and someone who can get on base a lot. And, and Springer has a little bit of speed, but his on-base percentage is terrible as far as leadoff
0: hitters go. Uh, and I want to point this out because you mentioned players like Springer, Altuve, Bregman. You know what they did? Uh, those are three righty hitters right in there. You know what they did against Patrick Corbin, a lefty? Yeah. Absolutely nothing. I mean, don't get me wrong, Corbin was lights out, but that offense has got to get at least something against a lefty hitter, and who, by the way, they had success against in Game Four. I okay. don't. This doesn't all fall on him; it. It should also partially falls on the offense. And something else I want to bring up: Game Six, when Alex Bregman hit that solo home run in the bottom of the first inning, when he when he carried the bat down the first base line, that lost that the series. So for, that lost the series for the Astros when Bregman That was car- so disrespectful. That was about. Okay, so, and I'm going to make a claim right here that you're going to think is crazy. So I'm basing this off of something that Coley Mix said, someone from a Red Sox podcast I listened to, made last year about Aaron Judge after he played in New York, New York at Fenway. He said that he does not believe that the Yankees will ever win a World Series with Judge, which I disagree with. I think they have one coming in recent years, unfortunately. But what I do want to make bring off of that statement is, I am in full belief that the Astros are not going to win another World Series as long as Alex Bregman is on their team. As long as the Alex Bregman we know is on their team, at least. If he can learn how to keep his stupid mouth shut and play the game in a respectful manner, then, the, then it may change. But as long as he continues to act in this cocky, play, cocky childish manner, unprofessional as well, They're not winning the World Series anytime soon. That's just going to rile up their opponent.
1: Well, I've seen this happen, especially from personal experience, where a team will be winning and then uh, one player will say something stupid sort of light a fire under the other team. And they just start going crazy, like Soto and Rendon. I mean, let's, let's be honest here. Bregman carries that bat to first base, which I wanna say again is probably the most disrespectful thing I've seen all year in, in the game of baseball. Except
0: for maybe the, the pirates. Hey, hey, except base. for maybe the Pirates Reds roll. Okay. I well, was just...
1: he carries oh yeah, <coughs> he carries his bat to first base. And and then Juan Soto comes up the next time, hits a home run, carries his bat to first base. And he goes, Hey dude, you're not that cool, I can do it also So I I, I mean I, I I sort of agree with you. I don't I don't think that I think that Bregman just needs to mature. And, and the other thing is that Judge is pretty mature for his age also. Oh, oh yeah,
0: absolutely. Aaron Judge is absolutely very mature for his age.
1: But I agree with you based on the fact that you
0: shouldn't, light a, you shouldn't be trying to light a fire under the other team. I mean, did you see uh, what... After uh, Bregman was clowning Ian Valdi last year, look what happened in Game yeah. 3 of the ALCS. What happened to Ian Valdi? So, uh, you mean this year? Yeah. Injuries. Oh, yeah. And then, in Valdi. Game 3... There was a game last Vegas season when Ivaldi was with Tampa when the Astros hit back to back to back home runs off them. Bregman decides to post them on Instagram to troll him. Evaldi, six innings, two earned runs, quite a couple of a few strikeouts along the way. Red Sox end up winning that game eight two.
1: You know, uh, it's interesting about Evaldi that he got hurt this year. The reason why the Yankees
0: had to give him up a few years ago is because he kept getting hurt. Yeah, I know. So, I guess when he finally found his uh, found his
1: stride in this trade over to Boston, you are able to get a lot of the good parts out of him.
0: And now he's and he got hurt again.
1: Yeah. Well, it's definitely been an entertaining season. Uh, and a,
0: especially an entertaining series. True. Sure. Beaton made news again on Wednesday when he and Carl Anthony Towns
1: got to a scuffle on Wednesday night. The two have had arguments in the past, but Wednesday night punches were thrown. Ben Simmons held Towns in a chokehold some time into the fight, though the NBA claimed that he was the peacemaker. While Townsend and Embiid got two games each of, sus- of suspension, Liam, did the league get the suspensions right?
0: Absolutely not. They didn't get the suspensions right. While this is while this is very childish, and some will some will find it funny. It's just childish, stupid. Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid, Carl, and Carl Anthony Towns acted like thugs on Wednesday night. That cannot happen in this game, and they deserve at least five, if not more, because. If I remember correctly, in that Pirates Reds brawl we brought up earlier, several key components got at least three, unless I'm mistaken, including some getting yeah. ten. And then well, I'll keep in mind that the twice as long. True, and but nothing for Ben Simmons? I mean, did they not see him molding towns in that Choco? I mean, that is just That That could kill him. Honestly, I mean, if you prevent him from breathing like that, that could legit end his life. Like, this whole thing is just Stupid, thuggish, childish, stupid, thuggish, childish event that can't happen in the game, and I certainly hope that the next time something like this happens, the league toughens up and suspends its players for longer.
1: Well, especially if this happens again uh, between Towns and MTE, they'll obviously be uh, suspended for longer. We'll probably see Simmons' Gas suspension. Um, To be honest, I'm not a fan of either team. Um, and I don't think that it was necessarily a big deal. Uh, I mean, obviously, we don't want to see players fighting. But me just watching it as a, as a regular human being, I thought it was pretty funny to see two seven-footers going at it like that. So, uh, I mean, I don't think they necessarily got the suspensions right. I would have had in a few games, probably two for Ben Simmons, maybe five for Townsend that beat. But, I mean, for the most part, uh, they did get punished. I hope Ben Simmons got a pretty nice fine. Uh, I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't think it's a big deal. I, I I. think that if they up the suspension a little bit, you definitely wouldn't see it happening.
0: Oh, well, I mean, you mentioned that you think Ben Simmons should get a fine, and he absolutely should, if not a suspension. And I think it's safe to say this won't... I, there are always those couple of instances a year when there are the bench-clearing brawls and the scuffles in the NBA. Hockey, it happens all the time, but... It's not as a co- common occurrence in the NBA or the well, you see, MLB. You know,
1: it's kind of like a. It's kind of. I feel like it's more of a part of the
0: game. Yeah, it it's, is. It is. It's like in baseball, you know, and I probably shouldn't be saying this. When there's
1: a pitcher that that you know, that when there's a batter that the pitcher doesn't like, or or a batter that just came up who uh, handed the ball over to the first base coach, uh, the the response is from your team is the next pit is the next time it comes up to the plate. I want you to hit him in the head. So, I mean, there's still kind of a culture uh, like that, you
0: know, in sports. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously not as much in basketball uh, as probably in some other sports, especially like football and hockey and rugby. But uh, for sure, it happens. Well, let's make it clear. I don't know if you saw their Instagram posts after. So it's, uh, it's clear that neither of the two are keen to shy away from the media. Steph Curry suffered a broken left hand Wednesday night and is due to miss the next few months. The Warriors have now lost Kevin Durant to free agency and Curry along with Thompson to injury. The Warriors are now left with Draymond Green and deloading to carry the load. Michael, the Warriors have gotten onto to a tough start with Curry. Now, do you think they're doomed without him? Um, I
1: saw a really funny meme a few days ago where uh, it was Draymond Green dribbling up the court with the basketball and like trying to cross people up and, and shoot setback threes. Um, I don't know, he just looks really stupid. but um, Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that they're not going to make the playoffs. Uh, you could say, well, hey, they still have uh, D'Angelo Russell, uh, who made the playoffs by himself last year with uh, – with Brooklyn, the difference though between this and 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 the Nets last year is that the West is a lot more stacked. Conference he's going to be playing better teams in and out. Uh, he also doesn't have the same team around him. You know, he had some some really good players around him last year.
0: He had Lavert. He had Joe Harris, who was on the who was on the World yeah. Cup team. He had Jared Allen. Perfect. Yeah. Under it's so an underrated of group, group of guys out there. A formidable starting
1: lineup around him. Uh, the I don't know who the um. I don't know who the Warriors are going to be playing this year and their absences, uh, and, and especially they already have uh, tops now for the season, lost to to free agency. Um, this is going to be really tough for Warriors fans, especially since there's so many of them now. Uh, uh, to finally start losing, I wonder how many more people will become fans of their regional teams.
0: <laughs> but uh, we'll see. All right, now and uh, one player, one key player I forgot to mention earlier was a. Uh... Andre iguodala that's also a big loss. I just want to make point that out. Yeah, that's Sean Livingston. Oh, yeah, and Livingston's retirement. So, if you combine those two with the three mentioned earlier, that's five very... Oh, and Boogie Cousins. That's six key players they've lost this year. And, I honestly, I agree with you. I don't see the Warriors making the playoffs, especially in the stacked list. D'Angelo Russell is new to his teammates. They still are still sort of meshing with his style of play, you know? And... And... According to reports the other day, part of the reason KD left Golden State was because of the rift with Draymond he had. I expect another rift with D'Angelo Russell coming up for Draymond Green. I absolutely think the Warriors are not going to make the playoffs, and it'll be confirmed. We will have a new champion out west. Yeah, I
1: I 100% agree with you. I, I, I. I would be interested to see if there is another rift. That would be really interesting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I wouldn't be surprised if there was, but I'm not going to sit here and predict it. I I honestly don't think it will happen, but I would not be surprised if it did. I absolutely see what you
0: mean. Well, I think it's safe to say that the dynasty is over. Broncos QB Joe Flacco
1: has been making headlines this week. First after another loss in a game they should have won against the Colts in Indiana. Flacco was very critical of his teammates and now finds themselves at 2-6. Now Flacco's done for the season with a neck injury. While it seems like a big loss at first, Flacco's comments tell a different tale. Liam, do you see the loss of Flacco as a positive or a negative for
0: the Broncos? Okay, so it's not really the loss of Flacco that's going to determine what's going to happen in Denver. It's whether or not they get rid of John Elway. Ever since Peyton Manning retired, they have Gotten bust after bust after bust. The quarterback first it was Trevor Simeon. Yeah, I don't think have
1: they drafted a quarterback yet in the first
0: round. Oh, I thought they drafted Paxton Lynch in the first round. They might have. It was Trevor have. Simeon, then it was. I might
1: have been late first round, actually.
0: It was Trevor Simeon, then it was Brock Osweiler, then it was Paxton Lynch, then it was Case Keenum last year, and yeah. then it was Joe Flacco. It is very telling to me that how big of a different hole Peyton Manning's retirement has left within the Denver Broncos organization, and honestly, I see the loss of Flacco as a negative for the Broncos in that Flacco is a, still a Super Bowl MVP, though his prime is way past him. He still has the winning experience that young players like that need to have instilled in them, but in the, so in the short run, it's a good thing, or in the short run, it may be good, but in the long run, it's bad.
1: Well, I, mean, I I certainly think it's a negative for uh, the Broncos. Uh, it's interesting that you bring up a uh, uh, how big of a hole Manning left. They haven't just lost Manning in these last few years. They've lost Demarius Thomas, Julius Thomas,
0: Emmanuel Sanders? Emmanuel. They just lost him. Well,
1: they just traded him. Um, so I think that Flacco is a decent system quarterback. Uh, obviously, Lamar Jackson was better. That's why they traded away Flacco uh, from Baltimore to the Broncos. Uh, but I think that Flacco is one of those guys where you got to have a good defense, which I think they have a—they have definitely a formidable front seven uh, with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, probably one of the best in the league. But their secondary is pretty weak. They have no skill players. Their running game is okay, and their O line sucks. So I think that Flacco that he can't carry an offense like this. And and like you said, they should have won last week. Uh, he calls out his teammates after the game. I think that this is a negative for the organization because they've they've lost. What they lost Manning? What four or five years ago?
0: Uh, four, four years ago now.
1: Yeah, and, and <laughs> trust me, I've been a fan of a team that's shuffled quarterbacks for a long time, and, and at best has been nine and seven, uh, and slipping into the wild card, and and I mean it doesn't work. You know, you can you can go out there and you can sign uh, your Case Keenum for two years, and and. $20 million a year. You can go out there and you can trade for Joe Flacco. It doesn't work. I think this is a negative for the Broncos. Sean Elway could lose his job because he spent four years wandering around trying to fix his quarterback position and he's yet to take a high pick on a quarterback.
0: Alright, so yeah, you mentioned uh, how the Texans have been, had that little quarterback circle. After Matt jobs great 2012, then there was 2013 where he threw all the pick sixes Then Let's go through them all. I think it was Ryan Mallett, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I want to Bro, say no, Brian, Brian Hoyer, Hoyer. Brian Hoyer. Tom Savage. Yeah. We had Case Keenum for some oh, yeah, time. We Case Keenum for some there. time, too. Brent Whedon. Tom Savage. Brock Osweiler. Brendan Whedon never played. I, thought, I, he, think he I thought he played a little bit. And then now yeah. there's Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson Deshaun, and Deshaun Watson was drafted 12th overall. So, yeah. it is clear to me... That the only way the the Denver Broncos are going to get out of this hole is by using a high draft pick on a quarterback.
1: Well, and they're going to have
0: some options this year. They're
1: going to have two. uh, they're going to have because uh, right now it looks like they're getting a top five pick. They're probably going to get Joe Burrow, Max in there somewhere.
0: Justin uh, Herbert's name. <laughs> Justin Herbert. Of, yeah, the kid from Oregon. Yeah, so they got they got three guys that they can take a chance on. This
1: I think it's a pretty good quarterback class. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting. The best quarterback class of the last five years, everybody thought was a terrible quarterback class. Turns out that two of those guys are going to be perennial MVP candidates
0: for the next fifteen years, <laughs> and and um, Mahomes and Watson. So,
1: I mean, we'll see. I think that I think that two 0 will be pretty good. Uh, Burrow has been very impressive. I've been watching some of him, especially since I'm a Texas fan. He uh, he came in and just wrecked us at our home at our own stadium. So.
0: Oh yeah, I remember that game. So uh, I don't know. I'm very interested to see what
1: happens here, but I think that uh, I think that they're going to end up having to spend a high draft pick, or they're going, or John always going to fall to the same mistake where he'll you know, try to like go out and sign like Teddy Bridgewater or something. So oh. I think the only reason why team should seriously sign a quarterback uh, for a big deal is what if this guy is like an amazing QB, like a constant Pro Bowl or like Pro Football focused has them like all over the map, and or. Or, like, uh, you're a well developed team where you just need a quarterback quickly. Like, say, like the Minnesota Minnesota Vikings did a few years ago, where they had a good running back, they had a good uh, receiving core, their defense is one of the best in the leagues. Uh, And so they just went out and signed Kirk Cousins for three years, $80 million. And last
0: year, Cousins wasn't great, but he has been outstanding this year. Yeah.
1: Well, he's good until he gets onto prime football, or prime uh, television.
0: True that. Alright, well, talking about a team who has fallen dramatically since that Super Bowl season, though. The Browns are a disappointment at 2-5, and, five, and ba- Baker Mayfield is not shy to let his anger out. Mayfield walked out on the media after getting in a heated exchange with a reporter and refused to apologize after the drama unfolded. Michael, do you see these events dragging the Browns down even further?
1: Well, I don't know. I, if you remember uh, a few months ago when we were talking about how we thought that the Browns would do, um, I was saying that the Browns were going to be okay at best. Um, look, this is a young team, right? And, and they have a lot of mouse to feed. They have uh, a rookie head coach who has shown nothing, nothing throughout his whole entire career. Uh, and Baker Mayfield's frankly acting like a kid. Uh, Baker Mayfield had a good year last year, but here's the thing. He started off with a good head coach. I think Hugh Jackson is a good head coach. Uh, he was just kind of re- screwed by the system.
0: Yeah, he was in the wrong uh, place at the wrong time.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, let's be honest here. Uh, Baker Mayfield's a clown. Uh, and I think that he needs to get a grip on himself for in a few years he'll be out of the league like Johnny Manziel was.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you completely, because Baker Mayfield has acted like a childish clown ever since he was at Oklahoma when he planted the flag at Stanford. Baker Mayfield is a childish clown. I'm gonna say it over and over again. Childish clown. These events are gonna drag the Browns down even further if they're not already at rock bottom, which you could make the argument that they are. And uh, let's take a look at pull up their upcoming schedule to see if they have any hope of even coming close towards that World Series. Let's see, Cleveland Browns. (laughs) Because I don't envision it being particularly easy.
1: The only thing going well right now for the Browns,
0: they've got a really good running back. Okay, okay. So they have home against – they have at Denver tomorrow. They should win that game. But then they have home against Buffalo, L, home against Pittsburgh, home against Miami, at Pittsburgh, home against Cincinnati. So we were – I was actually wrong there. Their schedule for the remainder of the get-go isn't that difficult. But that being said, in order to even have a chance at a playoff, they need at least eight and one. In these last in their last nine games. They're two and five right now. An eight and one finish would get them at ten and six. And that is what they need at least to even have a shot at the playoffs.
1: Right. Yeah. They're in the AFC too, yeah.
0: Yeah. There's oh. some good
1: teams that would be in the wild card for sure. Probably the Colts. Uh,
0: oh, Colts are winning Colts are winning the division.
1: Yeah, but they're not gonna hold on to that, let's be honest here. They have some uh they have some interesting opponents going on to, to uh second half of the year. They're interesting the Colts. They play really well against good teams, and then against bad teams, they, they kind of stoop down to their performance, or to their level. So I, and I obviously think that the Texans will still win the division, I, but I do expect to see the Colts in
0: the uh, wild well. card, for sure. All right, time to play the most game, where we'll be placed after the word most, and we will debate categories in sports that apply to the phrase. And today's phrase is most challenging. We'll start with this, Mike. Most challenging NFC North team to face. The Rams, the 49ers, or the Seahawks?
1: Um, so I'm a big fan of quarterbacks Are are definitely the most important position in the NFL. And I think that having a good quarterback makes a team incredibly difficult to face because they're, uh, especially ones like Russell Wilson, are just incredibly unstoppable. Uh, and he can run with it. He'll make you drop back the pass uh, or drop back four pass uh, so I think the most difficult team to face right now in the NFC North would be the Seahawks. You got you got a dual threat quarterback. You have a defense who's pretty good. Their front seven is legit. They got uh, Bobby Wagner, uh, Javion Clowney. Uh, their secondary can use a little bit of work. Their uh, receiving core led by Tyler Lockett is okay. Their running game has been good with Chris Carson. Uh, so I think that right now they have a good running game and Russell Wilson's magic with the football. So. Uh, I think it's the most difficult team to face right now in the NFC North. is the Seahawks.
0: Uh, and I agree with you completely. I think that the Seattle Seahawks are by far the most difficult team to face. And I'm gonna look at the uh, schedule right here to see when San Francisco plays Seattle, because that, in my opinion, are the game are the biggest games of the year for the San Francisco 49ers. Well,
1: okay. Let's be honest here. The only team that's faced and that's fa- or the easiest the team who's faced the easiest schedule this year has been the 49ers. Uh, yeah, they've had at
0: Tampa Bay, at Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, at Rams, that's a good win, at Redskins, Panthers, then at Cardinals. Okay, so Monday night. Fo- fo- m- hey, 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 hey! Monday night football! Monday night football! The Niners play the Seahawks. And then yeah. week. Let's wait, see. That's not the- wait, no, that's next week, right? Yeah. Monday night football, yeah, that's next week. because, Yeah, that is next week because they play it on Thursday night football. And then Monday, and then in week 17, the 49ers are at Seattle. I believe Damn. that those two matchups will tell us which, which NFC West team is the best, but right now, I believe it's Seattle purely based off of the fact that CenturyLink Field is arguably the toughest stadium in the NFL to play in besides Gillette, and that ultimately... that well, right ultimately
1: now, I think that the toughest place to go out and win would probably be New Orleans.
0: That's what okay. I
1: think. I think right. New Orleans would be the toughest place to play. But Seattle is all. Seattle is all going to be the hardest
0: place to play in the NFL. And for that reason, I am going to go with Seattle. Yeah,
1: I mean, look, Seattle, Century Lakes is a good, hard place to play. I definitely think the Superdome would be probably one of the toughest places to play. Uh, I think that going in
0: uh, into Lambeau would be really hard to go and pull out a win. They're, team, they're 7-1, I think. Yeah, but they are. Like
1: the team Green Bay, they are seven and one. So I mean, I don't know, toughest place to play. Definitely to let throw them in there. Um, pretty much any team with a dome stadium, I would say, is pretty hard to play, just because it can get so loud in there. Yeah. Uh, especially, I mean, unless your team is terrible, but. <laughs> you know. So I don't
0: know. Uh, how about this way? Most challenging defense space, New England or San Francisco? Alright, I'm gonna go with New England. Only only basing it off the fact that their defense scores touchdowns. There was a stat on Instagram from the other day that the Patriots would be four, three, and one or something like that if their defense if their offense never took the field in the game and let their defense do all the work. Yeah, that crazy. defense is something else, man. All the touchdowns they scored, all the turnovers they forced, fumble fumble, interception, you name it. They've been dominant all year. I can't wait to see how dominant they continue to be. Uh, this is very interesting to me because I don't think either of these teams have truly faced a great quarterback yet. Well, now looking at each of these
1: teams, uh, well, New England will be get, well, both of them will be tested next week, next time they play, because uh, San Francisco's gonna have to play Russell Wilson and uh, New England's gonna have to play Lamar Jackson this week. So I think what, I think that what makes the new New England's defense better than San Francisco is that they have some balance. San Francisco's
0: really good on the front seven. I mean, they're one of the they, but they should be, right? Yeah. If San Francisco
1: did not have a good front seven, it'd be an embarrassment in their drafts. Look, they drafted they've drafted on their defensive line the past two seasons and the first 10 picks. So I don't want to hear uh, anything about, uh, I don't know. I, I think that if a good quarterback came in and played San Francisco with good receiving, uh, I think that they just rained deep balls on them all day. I think that New England has some balance. They have uh they have good linebackers, they sell a solid defensive line, their secondary is incredible. They probably have the best cornerback in the league. Uh Gilmore. I think that I think New England would be more challenging to face just because they can uh, stop things everywhere. I think that San Francisco's been relying too much on their front seven to be called a great defense.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens next week when they face Steve that's Tyler Lockett, and uh, DK Metcalf. Yeah. Uh, next, most challenging new QB on the block to face. Gardner Minshew, Kyle Allen, Daniel Jones, Tyler Murray, or perhaps a wild card.
1: Well, so the only other person I thought that I could put on this might be uh, Jacoby Persett. Uh I thought maybe Lamar Jackson would go on this, but he played last year, so I'm, I won't add him. Uh, um. I don't know. I kind of want to just go down it. Gardner Minshew. He's been all right. He hasn't really faced top-tier opponents and won against them. Kyle Allen has been incredibly reliant on his running game because he has the best running back in the league. He runs for almost like 150 yards every game. Daniel Jones has been good, but his team hasn't won as much. I think that Kyler Murray walked right in as a a rookie and had the starting job. He came in there, and now they're a good team. Uh, And they're a hard team to beat. They almost... uh. They almost beat the 49ers the other night.
0: Yeah, and they um, almost beat New Orleans the other day too.
1: Well, they did well against New Orleans and almost beat them.
0: But yeah,
1: I think that Kyler Murray is coming there, and he's almost—he's like the veteran who's a rookie. He's so mature. You want to talk about a about a good young quarterback right there? Throw Baker Mayfield off the off the off the bridge or whatever you want to say. Kyler Murray is a really good quarterback. He can run the ball. You see, he runs the ball
0: probably. Uh, most efficiently out of any other quarterback in the league. Except for maybe Lamar Jackson. Ball. Except for maybe Lamar Jackson.
1: Yeah, except for Lamar Jackson, of course. He can throw the deep ball. He hits everybody on the short passes. I mean, have you seen how many times he's just attempted to hit Christian deep this year? He is not afraid of anything. He'll take risks, uh, and um, sometimes almost to a fault, but I really like Kyler Murray, and he's short, he gets around. He kind of reminds me a little bit of a young Drew Brees.
0: I couldn't have put that any better, man. Kyler Murray has, after, a bit, he did not look, let's make this clear, he did not look good in the first three quarters of his NFL career. Then, comes out of nowhere in the fourth quarter. In the game, they were down 24-6, to, and that ended in a tie. In that game, Arizona had a chance to intercept in overtime, but that cornerback dropped it. And Patrick Peterson was suspended, so who knows what would have happened if he was playing. Uh, it's Kyler Murray. They, uh... Almost beat San Francisco the other night. They put up a good fight at the Superdome in New Orleans, which we were talking about earlier. It's Kyler Murray. I expect the Arizona Cardinals to be well in the playoff hunt next year with Kyler Murray under center for years to come.
1: All right, well, uh, last one. Most challenging opponent for the Patriots, uh, who have not had a tough schedule so far, they got they got to play Baltimore, Philly, Dallas, Houston, and Kansas City, or maybe another team you might want to throw in there. Uh, Who's the most challenging opponent for the
0: Patriots? It's Baltimore. It's this weekend without a doubt. Philadelphia, they've had an up and down year. I'm not as worried about them as I was going into the year. Dallas, game's at Gillette. We're not going to have a problem with that. Houston, they're one of those teams that can either go off on any given day or can either stink on any given day. But I think that the loss of J.J. Watt, which, by the way, we didn't mention earlier. Michael, thoughts on J.J. Watt loss before I continue?
1: It uh, hurts their defense a little bit. Their secondary is still pretty good. they got a good young safety. Uh Whitney Merciless is just going to have to pick up the a little bit. J.J. Uh, Watt's been a light all right this year, so I think uh, Merciless has been the guy uh, so far for them on defense. He's going to have to be the guy for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, all right. So I think that the Watt loss is going to make Houston a little bit easier than Kansas City. That one's at home. I honestly don't think we're losing a game until we'll this year. So for me, the most challenging opponent we have, In the last half of the season, is this coming? Is tomorrow night's game against Baltimore? I think we'll win. Don't get me wrong. I think we'll win, but Lamar Jackson and how dynamic he is, though he is in prime time. So we'll see how that ends up. But I think Lamar Jackson's pure athleticism is going to provide the biggest challenge for us this year. Well,
1: so I think so. I just made predictions a few days ago on uh, how what I think uh, like who I think the the playoff teams and stuff will be. I think that the Patriots are going to go 14 and two. And, and I think that's a tie between which two, which three are the uh, toughest to play. Look, they have they have Baltimore, and then they have Houston, Kansas City back to back. So I think that Baltimore they're impossible to prepare for. They're going to run the ball hard. You got to I mean, there's no one prepared for Lamar Jackson. There's no one like him, uh, and and that's going to be tough because it's going to be at Baltimore. Then you got Houston. You're coming into the Sean Watson's home territory. Uh, it's going to be a hard game to win because the Texans are a good team playing at home, and you got Kansas City the next week. So there's going to be a possibility that uh, Patriots are going to be like, "Hey, let's just win this one because we got Kansas City to play, and they'll overlook the Texans." You do not want to sleep on them. Uh, and then lastly, uh, Kansas City. This team can they can run the score up. They got a powerful offense. Whether or not uh, you want to admit it or not, you got. Patrick Mahomes starting to great receivers. Patrick Mahomes starting to Travis Kelsey, Tyree Hill, uh, Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson, McCole Hardman. Uh, so I mean I think between these three teams, there's a there's a, a possibility that the Patriots will lose. Uh, obviously, if the game the third game was in Kansas City, I'd probably say that they have a, they have a higher chance of losing there. Um, to be honest, I think that they'll lose to Baltimore and Houston, but I think that they'll beat Kansas City, Philadelphia, and Dallas, and they'll end the season
0: 14-2. <laughs> Alright, time for the history lesson, boys and girls, where we honor on a great achievement to the past in the coming week. Three years ago today, November 2nd, the 108-year curse of the GOAT was broken, as the Chicago Cubs won Game 7 in Cleveland in extra innings by a score of 8-7. Joe Madden, who managed that team, was fired a few weeks ago and picked up by the Angels, but he will forever live in Chicago lore.
1: Uh, uh, 23 years ago tomorrow, November 3rd, uh, some phenom named Kobe Bryant made his debut for the Los Angeles Lakers. Bryant was the youngest player to make his debut at the age of 18 years old, two months, and 11 days.
0: Alright, 18 years ago, Monday, November 4th, the Arizona Diamondbacks won their first World Series with a 3-2 victory in Game 7 over your New York Yankees. Randy Johnson and Curt Schilling, arguably the best one-two punch in World Series history, were named World Series co-MVPs.
1: Mm -hmm. rather said uh, one last 28 years ago Thursday November 7th Magic Johnson retired from the NBA while announcing he had HIV miraculously though uh, Magic still played with the Dream Team in 1992 and is still alive and well today
0: and is still making headlines as a great showman okay the show's almost over so it's time for Who you Got we'll start with this huge college football game today at 2.30 Central as number 8 does Georgia does battle with number 6 Florida Michael who you got taking this SEC showdown
1: uh, I'm taking Georgia. Uh, I think that they have a good offense. Uh, there's not really a weak spot to Georgia, in my opinion. Uh, so I think that Georgia's going to go and win this
0: game, for sure. I disagree. I think that the Georgia loss to Illinois at home, I think it was, is going to hang over on them for a long time. And it's going con- to cause Georgia to struggle in the get-go early going. They'll have a good run to a comeback later. But ultimately, Florida at home, too tough to beat. Well, uh, I think
1: that Georgia's going to have uh, they're going to have a little firelight underneath them. Like I said, uh, teams that feel like they've just been embarrassed are going to come out and play hard. I think that they're going to want some revenge and they're going to go out and beat a top team on
0: that's the, an uh, college football. That's an interesting perspective to take it from.
1: Uh, well, next up on Tuesday night, the Champions Classic will be taking place at Madison Square Garden as number three
0: Kansas battles number four Duke and number one Michigan State battles number two William. Number two Kentucky. Uh, that was number two Kentucky. We have, we do have one in this game. Okay, so personally I think Kansas is ranked way too high. Given how they crashed and burned out of nowhere last year, didn't even come away with a big twelve title. Ended up as a four seed, blew out Northeastern in the first round, and then lost in the second round too. I don't remember who it was. It might have might have been Auburn, don't remember. Now, so I have Duke winning this game. I think Cassius Stanley is going to have a big twenty five point night in his first college game on the big stage, and Duke will defeat Kansas, Revenge from the 2018 tournament, and as for Michigan State and Kentucky, I think that Cassius Winston is the best player in the country, as of right now, Tom Izzo is, Tom Izzo's boys are going to come in hot fired up after that Final Four loss to Texas Tech, I've got Michigan State beating Kentucky. Uh, I
1: don't know, I have, uh, I definitely have. Kentucky beating Michigan State for sure. I got. I also have Duke beating Kansas, uh, just as you do. Uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of looking at some of these recruits that uh, both Kentucky and Duke brought in. I mean, Kentucky brought in three five-stars. I mean, not too often that that happens. Uh, or I guess not made it for Kentucky and Duke, but it happens all the time. I don't know. I think that uh, Kentucky's going to be a really dangerous team.
0: Uh, I see them uh, beating... Uh, Michigan State. And I'm looking. I'm looking forward to watching these games Tuesday night if I'm able to. Yeah. I don't we think I have a lot of, of, lot of
1: players that we haven't seen yet in
0: college. I so know. I don't think I have a lot of homework Tuesday, so we'll see. Last one on Sunday Night Football tomorrow night. The eight zero Patriots travel to face Lamar Jackson the Ravens. Michael, have I changed your mind? Will they make it nine and zero tomorrow? Well, I think this is
1: when we're gonna start arguing. Uh, I think that. Uh, I think that the Patriots are going to win. Like I said, it's going to be impossible for them to prepare for Lamar Jackson. Uh, They're going into Baltimore. Uh, It's Lamar Jackson's home. They're going to to run the ball a lot with Mark Ingram. Uh, They're going to run a lot with Lamar Jackson. They're going to use their big tight end, like Mark Andrews. And they got their fast-fee receiver in Hollywood Brown, who I think is going to be back. So I think that this is going to be a really difficult uh, game for uh, the um, for the Patriots, like I said, Stefan Gilmore probably the best quarterback in the league, and he'll be on Hollywood Brown. But the thing to keep in mind is here is that uh, the Ravens can easily win games without using either uh, without using either receivers at all. So I think that they're going to have uh, a, they're going to have okay passing. Look, they're going to hit Mark Andrews a few times. They'll probably hit Hollywood Brown two or three times. They'll probably see one of those stat lines from Lamar Jackson that's like. 150 yards for a touchdown and an uh, interception. Then he's going to run for another 120 also for a touchdown. And but something you have,
0: more, you have, something bigger you bigger have to keep in mind, Michael, is that it's pri- it's a primetime game. Please, so. please, and please delight me with the details of what happened to Lamar Jackson in the postseason <laughs> last year, which was a primetime game in Baltimore. Please delight me with the details of what happened in that game.
1: Well, I think it's uh, it's a little bit different now. Look, the uh, Ravens have added a good running back in Mark uh, market so ground. I asked you to tell games. me what happened. I asked
0: you to tell me what happened with Lamar Jackson in that game. So they lost.
1: They yeah, lost exactly.
0: Exactly. We saw Lamar Jackson crash and burn on primetime last year now. against Philip Rivers. Against Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers. Tom Brady's a whole other animal, man. Bill wow. Belchick is a whole other animal than Anthony Lynn. Okay, so let's see
1: what's happened since then. The Patriots' offense has gotten worse. Tom Brady's gotten a year older. They've lost uh, they've lost a great tight end. But our they've
0: defense has gotten so much people. better. But our defense is so much better.
1: So what? The, the Ravens have added a good running back. They added Marcus Peters just a few days ago. Uh, uh, I mean, and, and it's a good
0: team. Look, the Patriots have not faced a really great team. yet. You can say Buffalo's a good
1: team, but let's be honest, their quarterback sucks. Uh, so I think that, I think that the Ravens are going to go in, they're going to go, they're going to be at home, Patriots are going to go in there, and they're going to want to run right back to Gillette Stadium, because they're not going to like Lamar Jackson the Ravens. All
0: right, all right, I know it's a lost cause. <laughs> well, I
1: don't think it needs any explaining what you think's going to happen,
0: so. 19-0. 9-0? 19-0. 19-0. 19-0? Okay.
1: Is that all, is that all? Yep. Well, folks, I guess that's it for today. I'm Michael McGinnis.
0: All right, I'm Liam Griffin. I'd like to thank Michael for being my guest once again today, and thank you for tuning in. Be sure to give this podcast a follow on Instagram at Full Press Podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please DM the podcast or contact me directly. Next Saturday, I've got a busy day with lots of school events happening, so we will be off next week on November 9th. But November 16th, we will be back in action. Thanks again for tuning in. We will see you in two weeks.